live from Keyboard Island, I bring you a new LocoCast episode. Hello, I'm your host Rick Harding with more keyboards than I know what to do with. And I'm Craig Maloney with more keyboards for machines that probably don't exist any longer. <laughs> At least mine are all USB. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Craig, I got new toys today. I took a picture I put up on Twitter. I, uh, I, yeah, I, I saw that. <laughs> I think, I think I, you're the only person I know of that actually bought the Kinesis split keyboard. I, hey, it was eBay. Just FYI, eBay. I, okay, so you bought it from the other person that bought one of them. <laughs> I did. No, yeah, my my shot. I had I had my four my four like keyboards that I like. I've got another four or five in the closet, and I've got one at work that I use. So it wasn't a complete collection. But the fact that I'm saying keyboards and collection the same sentence is starting to make me nervous. I I don't know how you can buy quite so many keyboards. I mean, oh no, I do know. I do know how you can buy so many keyboards. You don't buy Apple keyboards. No, I, all right. If I hear Apple keyboards are the best one more time, I am. I tell you what, it's there will be burnings in the city. I I'm sorry, but I respectfully think you are all crazy. Yeah. Well, I, see, you haven't used one long enough. That's the problem. Whatever. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, Loves it's, the chiclets. No, chiclets are evil. <laughs> evil. If I wanted to, to type on a laptop all the time, I would just grab my ThinkPad keyboard, which is like one of my ThinkPad keyboard, which is the best laptop keyboard in existence. Hey, so, I'm just saying that the IBM PC Junior was very prescient in its decision to go with the chiclet keyboard because now all the laptops are going with chiclets. Twenty years later, we're all set. You know what? When that brings me to my favorite keyboard that I just displaced, my Unicomp Clickies, that are IBM Model M replicas. They bottle the patents from. That's actually my usable favorite. I've got one at work and I've got one at home. Except today, I, I actually I grabbed it for. I've got a little spare like netbook on a shelf with a little mounted monitor underneath that I have to like run like my backup PC and stuff, and I have it kind of running a browser window of like my build server and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wanted like a small keyboard that I can put over there because I do like to go over there, you know, and use it for stuff and, and, you know, every once in a while. So I grabbed one of these Happy Hacker keyboards, which is like very mini size. There's no n- number pad. There's no function key row. There's no arrow key block. There's there's nothing but like the small block. Just the QWERTY, ma'am. It, it pretty much, and if you want, <laughs> if you want to use the function keys, you have to hit like a, there's a function button, and then you have to hit like you know one through whatever ten or whatever is like functions, you know. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm trying it out to kind of see how it works, and that that's why I'm I'm not using my clicky one. So I, I can actually probably type today on this the. On You'll the probably line. be able to hear it. Well, I'm probably you won't be able to hear it as well. That's the thing. It'll be you less. Know, that, less that's the thing about the Model M, though. I mean, that is that is one keyboard. That works like a tank, sounds like a tank, and could probably stop a tank. You know, it's the, it's the only uh, computer device I have that I let my son play with on purpose. I right, will. I will no think, way he can kill it. No, I'll t- I'm, I am not afraid of him hurting that at all. I'll I'll put a window manager. I'll put a new desktop up and put him on my lap and just say, "Bang on this Model M replica all you want, buddy. You couldn't hurt it if you wanted to." <laughs> <laughs> he loves it. Clang, bang, bang, bang. Well, and you can throw it in the dishwasher afterward. No problem. <laughs> I haven't I haven't needed to do that yet, so um, I'm not sure I'd go that far but anyways how are you doing sir i am doing well i'm back from a a vacation well not vacation but a a trip to chicago uh for business and such which was was yeah naperville area oh i love me some chicago my one of my favorite cities of course being a bears fan since i was like eight doesn't hurt yeah we won't get into that watching (laughs) watching the bears game the other day that hurt um Hey, they sent someone else to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, stupid cheeseheads. Um, sorry if you're out in Green Bay area, folks. Um, no, I, I've also been traveling around. I went out to the Code Mash conference, so um, that was a lot of fun. And then I had a little bit of a family emergency, so I went from that out to Virginia for a week. And all that while we have a product launch for work coming up next week. So me disappearing for back-to-back weeks in the weeks before the launch did not help. So I'm my 2011 is kicking my butt so far. January has been I had we had you know woo New Year's week of work and then suddenly it was like smack 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 just beating on me. So this sounds like my 2010. Oh, I'm yeah. <laughs> next month is my birthday month and I'm like let's get this product launched and let's <laughs> let's let's breathe let's chill a little bit. 
Um, it, will your birthday month be televised this time around? <laughs> you know, the birthday month is awesome because I get to go to the wife and be like, "Hun, can you make some dinner? Because it's my birthday month. <laughs> Quite awesome. She, by, I tell you what, it's a good thing my birthday is not the last day of the month or I would be dead before we got there. Yes, uh, you would be. Um, <laughs> but no, speaking of Code Mash, just a quick report there. Code Mash was awesome. It sold out in three days. You should definitely make sure to register and go next year. Um, I'm myself for not doing it this year. I tell you, you know, it's interesting because it's not the usual thing. There's not a lot of, you know, it's it's not an open source hippie conference like the stuff we normally go to. But it's cool. <laughs> it, it's cool. I, I sat in on several Ruby talks, and um, you know, they had some great some great speakers. Um, I, of course, I you know with this work launch coming up, they had a conference call. I decided that I was going to go ahead and jump on that was taking place during lunch. And at lunch of that day was a keynote from one of the guys from GitHub. And I, all I see is Twitter going crazy with the hashtag CodeMash and Netflix. Evidently, he gave like the best talk of the conference during oh this gosh. lunch keynote. And I, <laughs> stupid me, decided let me let me be a good employee and go call in for the conference call for work and missed it. So you're kicking yourself. I went and I'm still kicking myself. So. <laughs> well, you do realize though that you know if you had gone to it, you know the projector would probably have gone out. And <laughs> I'm not a walking disaster. Come on, no. <laughs> Give me a little credit. I'm sorry. I uh, but yeah, so once I get this product launched, the next thing on the list is to get ready for PyCon coming up in March. Ooh, so, and early oh. bird registration has passed, but you can still you can give them more money register. if you want. <laughs> yeah, you can give them more money. Although I, I hear that uh, it is also going to be in danger, much like the the Code Mash beast of selling out very quickly because there's limited spaces available. Yeah, last this was the first year where they're limiting the seats. However, the limit they set was, I think, 30% more than that came last year. So the odds are they won't hit the limit. I mean, Code Mash was a three-day. It was like literally three days. It was insane. It was concert-level ticket sellout. It was – if I wasn't giving a talk, I would not have been there. So um, – but yeah, so I, I think we're we're a little bit safer with PyCon, but it's one of those things where like the the later you wait to register, the more money you end up spending. So, you know, get in early and then take that money and turn it towards staying a little for an extra sprint day or something. Um, so, anyways, I'm gonna be down there for the for the conference and the sprints all four days, and gonna be rocking out and coding. So if you're down there, hook up, uh, hit me a message on PM or on a Twitter or whatever. Let me know. So, anyways. Uh, that's events. What else we got? We got some more events. Let's do some loco events. Well, uh, we've got the New York State local, February 19th. Uh, and I see a little note. Love this. Following the users group of the Rochester yes. monthly meeting. All right. So, okay, this is what's awesome. I, I'm, so, first of all, if everyone knows, there is a, a loco calendar of events in the loco site, which we'll have on the show notes because I don't remember it off the top of my head right now. Oh, I should and, be on the spot then. I know, man. <laughs> All right, but but anyways, when I went to look at what events were coming up in February, this was on there, and what I love is that this was, you know, Locos get some critics out there saying that the Locos are splintering the Linux community rather than encouraging them to work together and everything. And this event that the New York State Locos doing is like part of this Linux user group of Rochester meeting. So, you know, we do it here. I know that our loco is actually, we don't tend to do a lot of local only stuff. We tend to work through the existing lugs and stuff of the area. So well, we're all lug members pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I just want to say all the critics out there, you know, politely, politely suck it. Um, <laughs> the locos are doing good stuff with the lugs out there. So, you know what? I, I love seeing that. I just, you know, I love it when the critics are wrong. But, and what else we got? Uh, the California Loco, February 25th, South Cali Linux Expo. Yeah, this looks kind of cool. This is a scale conference out there. So they've got a booth out there. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, if you're out in those areas, check it out. If you're not part of the Loco, you should look into it and maybe go visit the events. And they're a lot of fun. You know what? The Locos, it's just nice to take Ubuntu and turn it social, which um, kind of brings us to we just posted, if you guys haven't seen it yet, an interview with, speaking of social, a listener of the show who basically sent an email saying, hey, guys, thanks for the show. I really like listening while I'm driving my sailboat through, like, Mexico waters in the evenings. And I'm like, whoa, 
Um, our show's getting listened to where? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, I, I conducted the interview with Jim Barber and uh, posted that uh, just yesterday. I mean, from when we're recording this, recording this on Friday. And uh, it was a very interesting interview. I, I have to say, I, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about sailing in that. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I left you hanging there because my product is launching next week. I was like, oh, that's quite all right. That's I, quite I, all right. I don't have time. However, I, I think that's what it was. Was it was very impressive to me just the fact that that a our show had left international waters, and uh, be, <laughs> and and b that it was. On the water. So here we got a bunch of users, you know, hanging out on a boat. That just has to be interesting. At least to me it is. So hopefully yeah, you guys check out the interview and uh, like it. And speaking of interviews, I don't know if you guys saw, I posted on Twitter that we did an interview. Or actually, I, we took turns. I did an interview with Barry Warsaw from Canonical, who's working on the, oh, there's a technical term, something platform development team, the foundations team. Um and who is basically, you know, Python on in Canonical. If he, if it's going on, he knows about it kind of thing. So we did an interview with him because we love Python, we love Ubuntu, and was an awesome interview. So we've got, well, we're going to fit that in right here. <laughs> there you go. This why, don't we have, why don't we have the interview with <laughs> this, Barry Warsaw? This is the absolute Canonical. transition ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, I've got with me today Barry Warsaw from Canonical. Barry, I hear you are Mr. Python. George Castro tells me you are Mr. Python in the canonical land. Uh, probably just due to my uh, long um, beard and the gray of my hair, I think. <laughs> hey, it's a good combo if we're going to be living in Linux land. you got to have a proper beard and it's a little gray. Exactly. So what are you doing out there? I, I see that you've been out there for since 2007, so you've, uh, you've probably seen a lot go by. Yeah, I mean, Canonical's grown a lot since I joined, and um, it's just been really fantastic, um, you know, just to see, you know, not only the, the growth of Canonical, but just the breadth of things that we're involved in, and, you know, all the really, really cool people who who have uh, joined the company. It's certainly, you know, I see new faces every time, you know, I get together with other Canonical people, so uh, it's been really cool to watch. Yeah, you guys are definitely getting crazy out there between, um, you know, the, the the hardware platforms and the you know the various um, you know service offerings, and then just a distro in of itself. Uh, you're definitely running the gamut out there. And what I love is I see a lot of Python out there. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what are you doing uh, these days for Canonical? Well, uh, I guess for the last maybe year. About, just about a year I've been on the um, Ubuntu um, Platform Foundation team. Uh, so, you know, I, I work with other um, other folks who are, you know, developing the basic uh, tools that uh, Ubuntu runs on. Um, and most of my, you know, most I've been concentrating mostly on uh, the Python 2.7 transition for the previous cycle and this cycle. Um, so what we're trying to do is get uh, Python 2.7 as the default Python for Natty. You're trying, to get, you're trying to get me my order dictionaries. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Python 2.7's got a lot of really cool stuff, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's got, it got, it's got the toys. That, you know what? Uh, 2.7's almost like, eh, three, who needs it? I got most of the goodies that I want anyway in Python 2.7. <laughs> Well, you know, that's the other thing that I'm, I, I haven't really spent a lot of time looking at, but one of the things that we're going to be spending a lot of time sort of towards the end of this, as this cycle, you know, s s uh, stabilizes and then moving towards the next LTS is, you know, how and in what way are we going to support Python 3? You know, how can we uh, sort of accelerate the move to Python 3? Because, you know, the, the, the reality is that Python 2 is, uh, is a dead end. And, um, you know, if you don't already know that, you know, you've, you've <laughs> got to come to grips with that at some point. Newsflash. Uh, Newsflash yeah, for exactly. you. Uh, so when you say the stuff that, uh, the, that the system's running on, like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking, you know, like... Yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, package managing things or, or I mean, what what's like yeah, the, the low level stuff you're talking about there? You know, it's it's interesting because um, the platform foundations team is 
kind of eclectic in a way. You know, everybody sort of has their own little chunk of expertise and things that they're interested in. And it's everything from upstart to, uh, you know, the installers to um, the tool chain, you know, GCC and, and those tools. And, of course, Python and um uh, file systems, and it's just sort of a mishmash of, of technologies that sort of, you know, are the core of Ubuntu that a lot of things are built on top. Uh, okay, I got you. So we're not just talking Python here then. There's a lot of other stuff that makes up that foundation we're talking about. That's right. That's right, yeah. Gotcha. Well, that's very cool. So what's uh, let's let's go ahead and play, like, what's coming out. Like, what's the big thing <laughs> that you're looking forward to here? It's, alphas are coming, man. I mean, it's time. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I think the alpha is next week. Alpha two is next week. Yeah, I think that's what we're. Uh, that's what I, we've got in our notes here. We got to record our episode around this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's going to be really good. You know, I've been running Natty um, as my primary desktop since before alpha one, and it's been really stable. I mean, previous releases, I've had to kind of wait until later alphas to to generally move to the desktop. Um, uh, but, but Natty seems, you know, even though a lot of things are changing, it seems really stable and, and definitely usable. Um, I know that we're moving to a new X uh, stack sort of as we speak. And yeah, I know that's yeah. a lot to that. That's, that's, that's scary stuff. It's a lot um, of stuff. Exactly. But as, as someone who still on occasion goes, man, I wish I had my Xorg file back. Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's getting scary how many like you know levels and layers and wrappers and you know interfaces and you know like the trying to get the multi-touch stuff kind of shoehorned in there and the Unity stuff and with all the platforms you guys are planning to play with for everything you know tablets at the arm and all that down to netbooks and. Um, Man, yeah. it's, it's getting to be a lot of stuff just to get you a pretty screen on the page. Yeah, you know, and, and even things like uh, Wayland coming down the pike uh, are going to make things even more interesting. Um, you know, I mean, that's one of the things I really like about Ubuntu, right? It's that, you know, we have this cadence, right? So we come out with a new release every six months, and we have a new LTS every two years. And I really think it kind of lets us be bold in, in what we do. You know, not um, not reckless, uh, right. but but really kind of you know pushing pushing forward, always pushing forward, and always trying. You know, what is going to give our you know our users um, you know the the best desktop experience they can possibly have. Server two, you know, but yeah. uh, you right. know, best operating system experience. And you know, I, you know, I I I've been using Unix for for longer than I will admit it <laughs> on record um, graybeard man graybeard all you gotta say <laughs> right right uh and you know i was a i was a big you know mac os user but sort of before i got here but you know really now these days i love the ubuntu desktop you know i think it's yeah. fantastic all my servers are running ubuntu now so it's you know i think we've got the right mix of stability and you know innovation yeah, I'll agree, I'll agree with you there. I, I think what you're the the nice thing is the mix, right? Like I know a lot of the guys that are working there, and you know their heads are down, worried about like you say your six month cadence. But I always love it when I see these blog posts come out and stuff from Mark, who's going, all right, all my guys are working on this next six month cadence. But you know what? Let's let's think a little past that, and let's set this you know one year, two year, three year vision for some stuff we want to do. But what's nice is what the six month cadence is, is that you end up breaking that into reasonable, like, you know, workable parts. You know, I don't know how many times you start a project at work and you're like, all right, we need to deliver this by, you know, summer, six months away kind of thing. And if you're not doing that kind of, you know, like agile incremental thing, you know, you end up at the at the end of the road going like, oh, crap, none of this stuff's going to go. <laughs> right, right. I've definitely been there before. And, uh, you know, having that regular cadence that everybody can depend on users developers, you know, uh, people working on translation, documentation, just the whole sort of world of Ubuntu. It's really fantastic. Uh, you know, um, when I started with Canonical, I was working on the Launchpad team, and there we had sort of a one-month cadence, you know. <laughs> and it was really cool because you, you didn't feel so bad if your stuff wasn't ready or if there was a problem, you know, because you knew there was going to be another release a month from now, and your stuff would get in then. So it was really yeah. great. 
Very cool. So let's plug this. I know I, I hang around a lot of Python folks, and <laughs> there's a lot of Mac OS fans among them, unfortunately. So let's plug this up. Like, what makes Ubuntu a great Python development platform? Uh, you know, I I love it for developing Python. Um, you know, I think there's um, there's a, a number of things. You know, we 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 try to again. We're trying to. Um, uh, uh, balance this moving forward, this innovate, you know, this bold sort of, you know, always being on the cutting edge and the stability. So, you know, one of the nice things that Ubuntu has that um, is not really present in a lot of other uh, distributions is this, you know, multiple versions of Python um, supported by the distro at the same time. Uh, you know, a lot of that we inherit from Debian um, because they, they do a lot of great work there. Um, but, you know, it's for example, it's really nice to, to be able to have Python 2.6 and 2.7 at the same time so that, you know, users can decide when to migrate their tools. Um, it's great to have Python 3.1 and 3.2 at the same time. Right. So, uh, you know, that's, I think, part of it. Um, you know, we really... Uh, work hard to make Python just a, you know a great uh, um, distribution on Ubuntu, so that uh, everything's there. You know, Python has this um, philosophy of batteries included, and Ubuntu is even more than that. You know, we throw more and more <laughs> and more batteries in the mix, and and it's great because just about anything that you really want is you know an app getaway, and and that you know really takes a lot of the headache of of trying to find packages and install packages and make sure they work and, and things like that, you know, at, you know, away from people. It, it has some downsides as well. And some of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, at the upcoming Python conferences, you know, how we can make that work a little bit easier for people and especially for distros to provide those, those, those tools to our users. Um, but in all, I think it, it works really well. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of heads down the direction. So I, I have a little dirty secret thing here. Like I, I, at one point in time, I wanted to be a Motu, and I thought I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna learn packaging and be a master of the universe and awesomeness. And one of the things was, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know Python packages and things that, that that are packaged up, but you know ones that definitely aren't. And over time, I kind of like you know. I don't know if I came to a realistic. I don't know. I just. Uh, how are you guys with doing the the whole like the Debian the the Ubuntu packages for Ubuntu libraries versus just you know the cheese shop PyPy downloading from GitHub or whatever kind of thing to kind of wing it. There's that I don't know that bleeding edge balance. I mean if if Ubuntu can be said to not be bleeding edge enough, I tell you what. Sometimes I feel like it's with those packages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I definitely understand what you're talking about. Um, you know, I would say that we're moving in a, a good direction we don't you know i mean one one vision is you know it, it would be kind of interesting although also a little scary to be able to say you know app get from the cheese shop any python package and mm-hmm. just uh you know do whatever magic is necessary to get you a dev that that you can install and we're actually you know it's not automatic which is probably a good thing, but we're really moving yeah. towards a, a lot of really great tools that are going to make it easy for Python developers to package their stuff up for Debian and Ubuntu. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, there's a, there's quite a few sort of tools, StudDeb is one, and uh, and there's a few others that are coming online that will allow you, if you have a Python package with a good setup.py, to mm-hmm. run one command and end up with a, a good Debian directory that you can then, you know, build that package. Oh, so that'd be, that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I want to, I definitely want to mention the, it's called PackageMe. It's P-K-G-M-E. It's a project on Launchpad. And uh, James Westby started that uh, at the last UDS. And it's, that really, I think, is going to be the future of uh, Python packaging so that you'll be able to take Anything that has a good setup.py runs package me, and you have a Debian directory that you mm. can just 
you know, build a binary package from. It, the interesting thing is PackageMe is a, is a framework, so it's not just going to be for Python. It'll be for, you know, just about any type of package. You can write a backend right. that knows something specific about the language or the, or the framework or whatever it is that that package is all about. And, of course, we have a Python backend by default. Hey, well, yeah. we got to have that. Well, that's cool. We'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes when we get that out. So. Yeah. That's that's very cool. I haven't seen that one actually, yeah. um, but I know I, I just kind of curious because I you know I have heard various plans of things where you know the things like trying to get all the packages into like BZR repos and making things kind of distributed version controlled and stuff. And I kind of like wonder if you could do something like that with uh, you know like if I have a package that's a Python package and I have it in a in a version control system that I could have a a branch of that that's like ready to be Debian packaged versus you know PyPy packaged. Right. Um, and and kind of keep the two in sync and still be able to kind of like because that's the big headache right is you have to, you have to do one or the other and um, I know at our office we have a, a situation where, where we don't control the deployed servers we have an actual network team doing that and they actually run um, <coughs> non Ubuntu um, servers <laughs> um, so I, I do know we we do tend to lean more towards the PyPy package stuff because we can automate things with virtual emps and uh, you know. Uh, Right. pip installs and keep copies of the those packages local and and they work on say oh i don't know CentOS or something like that mm-hmm. um however i can do all my stuff in, in ubuntu and not have to i i've actually not run across any kind of like you know uh, issue yet going between the systems uh which is handy right well that's cool so i mean we've talked a little bit about what's coming up in natty but what are what are you personally like what's your big thing so besides two seven um you know what else are you working on for the natty cycle here uh well you know earlier i did a bunch of upstream stuff uh i worked on a couple of peps that i think are gonna you know when python 3 is the default for for folks is going to make uh our lives a lot easier um i worked on the, the peps are uh, 3147 and 3149, and what they really allow us to do is to much ease, much more easily have multiple versions of Python coexist. I don't know if you know about the sort of details of how uh, Python Support or Python Central, which are tools that are used to deploy Python 2 uh, packages on Ubuntu mm-hmm. and Debian. Um, you know, they, they basically create big symlink farms because um, while a PY file may be compatible across multiple versions of Python, uh, the PYC files are not and the SO files are not. Right. So um, one of the things that I worked on uh, upstream, in, in, you know, as sort of being as a, as my, in my role as a Python core dev was to implement certain things and changes in Python that will make it easier so that you don't have to have those symlink farms, which are very, uh, you know, error prone and, uh, and difficult to, to manage so that, you know, PYC files can, can coexist right there right. next to the uh, source files so that the SO files, the, the extension libraries can coexist without having to worry about, you know, all that nasty stuff. So, Earlier in the cycle, I worked on a lot of that stuff. These days, it is mostly the transition. And then as the cycle, you know, gets towards the, you know, more stable side, um, it's going to be mostly just fixing stuff, you know, fixing things that are broken. Main That's, looks pretty good. Universe. Meh. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, you know, uh, to those peps, that, that seems kind of interesting. Um, those, uh, those peps there... It sounds kind of like, you know, like the way we kind of solve that kind of problem these days is by creating individual virtual emps and, and installing the package into each one, which it's kind of, I, I kind of consider it like the macOS way of having everything built into its own little directory, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas normally, Linux doesn't work that way. Normally, you have one version of a library on the system, and it seems like these peps would let us get kind of back to that, where even if you were using a virtual emp setup, you could do it with the site packages enabled and still do them with different versions of Python and such. Yeah, different versions of Python, definitely. Different versions of the libraries. Oh, well, yeah, no. That's sort of the next, you know, um, uh, Robert Collins, who is the technical architect for Launchpad, has been really pushing that. So Launchpad is, you know, a Zope application, right? Yeah. And uh, it uses build-out to control which versions of libraries it's it's using because it has very specific dependencies. Um, the problem is that 
you know, they don't always use the latest version of the package that's in Ubuntu and for, for, for many of the same reasons that you've right. been talking about. Um, and so he's been really pushing for approaches that will allow an application like Launchpad to use packages, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ubuntu packages as opposed to, you know, specially crafted cheese shop packages. Right. Um, and get the exact version that they that they want and allow them to coexist so that if you have okay. two different applications and they require, you know, JSON 3.1 and JSON 4.0, they could coexist as uh, district uh-huh. packages. So that's kind of interesting, right? So you'd have them, you, you know, when you upgraded, you wouldn't necessarily just have like one version of something upgraded in place, huh? Right, right. Oh, it, it seems like that would that would uh, take a little bit of work. That seems like there's a lot of problems to solve there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we and we officially have the understatement of the show. All right, good. We can move on. Awesome. Um, so give us a little insight. What are what? Uh, how does stuff work inside there? Are you guys all running the latest greatest, or are, are the, you know the Launchpad team and you guys with all your, your services pretty much an LTS to LTS? Or are you like everybody else? You've got some old Dapper server running somewhere in a corner. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, every team kind of does things a little bit differently depending on their needs. Um, uh, I think I think in general, folks want to folks who are running services, let's say Ubuntu One or Launchpad, um, you know, definitely want to run on an LTS. You know, our own, you know, uh, IS team set, you know, is very adamant about, you know, running on LTSs, running from packages as much as possible. I mean, they're, you know, they're typical network guys, right? So, you know, that, that's, that's the way they want to do things. Um, I know when I was on Launchpad, the, the servers, the production servers ran on the LTSs while everybody else, you know, um, ran on the latest, uh, you know, d- uh, stable version. In fact, we have sort of a company-wide policy that we're supposed to upgrade our desktops to the current, you know, the in-development version when it hits beta. It seems like that'd be hard for some of the guys that are, you know, like that are developing on Launchpad while that's running on an LTS and all that. It, it definitely uh, causes challenges, and one of the ways that, for example, Launchpad handles it is by backporting um, uh, packages. So, mm. um, you know, you may be on, or or maybe even sort of forward porting, but basically, you know, maintaining their own PPAs. Uh, right. Oh, you know what? I have to say, well, well, we could do a little pause there. PPAs, yeah. um, one of the single best, in, you know, things ever, um, <laughs> I will say. And I, you know, hats off to George and the guys that are pushing a lot of the daily, you know, PPAs and stuff like that going out there because that's just so awesome. Yeah. You know, it's going to get even cooler because, you know, they, um, Launchpad's going to, uh, it actually does support now, although it's not in general, you know, widespread use, build from branch. So, mm, right. you know, the vision one of the visions that we have is that, um, for example, nobody will do deput uploads anymore. You know the what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be cool if you just, you know, you want to change it, you want to fix a bug in a package, so you branch the package, you fix the bug, you push the branch, it gets reviewed, and then merged into a trunk, and then Launchpad automatically builds it, and if the build succeeds automatically uploads it to the to the appropriate archive i have to say this is one thing i was i've been uh, beat on george for a while there ever since things like review board and stuff came out i for a while i was big on bzr and, and i have confession to make I've, I've since moved on to the to the world of git but uh <laughs> um when i was a bzr thing and i was using launchpad and i was using ppas and i was loving all the awesomeness the one thing that i kept like going is like all right when's review board going to be integrated when can i like you say fix a bug and have it push and automatically go into like a review board code review setup and uh th- that seemed like a big missing hole for I me mean, it's it's so great because um you know I'm, I'm a developer so i'm biased right i want to see like awesome developer tools in my forges and and the, the the things that i use and you know we're all getting to that world especially in you know like a bu- in python land with you know guido's got his stuff out in google and all that mm-hmm. that the code mm-hmm. review is very important and i i hear that you guys do a lot of code review we um, do and so it's just kind of like it's always seemed like this big missing hole. Like, where's the code review in Launchpad? Launchpad. Yeah, well, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I, I really like Reitveld, which is the the tool that Guido wrote um, at Google. And and in fact, there was some work to um, to integrate uh, the uh, the Roundup, the Python bug tracker, with with Reitveld. 
And I've used it, and it's pretty cool. But you know, to be honest with you, I think most of us tend to do reviews in email. So, okay. you know, when once you get that email with the diff in it, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's actually pretty easy to just re- reply to the to that email, mark up the diff with whatever your review you know comments are, and okay. then just send an email. So you're marking up the diff. So that was always my question. I, I've not worked in a place that did official code review stuff, so it's mm-hmm. this was kind of one of those like pipe dreams of mine to get involved, you know, to, to have that kind of level of development cycle. But um, that's why I always liked the review tools was that I, I could see this you know this diff UI and go in and put comments at the line in question. Yeah. And I wasn't sure, like, how would you do that over email? That seems like because you're sending you normally. I always consider a diff like an attachment, you know, like how how am I go? But so you actually mark up the diff itself that you send back. Yeah. Well, I have to be honest. We that's the way we did it a, a lot in Launchpad when I was on okay. the Launchpad team. Uh, one of the things that we're trying sort of in the background to push is more code reviews for Ubuntu development, and I think mm. moving to you know. Uh, Ubuntu di- distributed development, which is you basically using you know bizarre branches right. for uh, your packages and stuff, right? Exactly. Right. I think those will help drive additional tools to assist with uh, code reviews because as you've got branches, you know the natural tendency is to want to get to do merge proposals for those and then to do mm-hmm. reviews attached to those merge proposals. And so we have, then we'll have to improve the tools that we actually do those reviews with. Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah. And especially cause there's some, there is some stuff with that. Um, I know, you know, the GitHub has some basic code comments you can leave uh, when you do a merge repo- uh, mer- uh, request and stuff like that. So yeah. it'd be it definitely it's something that'd be very cool to see uh, Canonical kind of step up and do that. It'd be very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what uh what kind of stuff do you guys do for the community? Let's let's plug it up. Like uh, how what are you guys doing for the Python community? You guys are really proud of anyone on your team? Really, you know. I don't want to say like you know Google twenty percent time, but surely you guys are doing a lot of Python. You got to be pushing a lot of bugs up, or you, you got your couple of peps here with the multi version. But what are you guys proud of in particular out there? Uh, as as far as Python goes, um, you know there, there's a number. I mean, there's a lot of us who either maintain our own Python packages or uh, certainly, you know, submit bugs upstream and, and maintain things that way. Um, you know, Canonical as a company, you know, um, uh, sponsors uh, the, the Python conference, is, you know, as a Python conference sponsor. We feel very strongly that we, we want to be involved in the Py, in PyCon, and, you know, we're, we're PSF members, so we... we uh, very to, cool. Yeah, we, we, we definitely are involved in all that stuff. And... Um, you know, we are, I, I, I guess the way I sort of look at it is is that, you know, Ubuntu being as popular a platform as it is, mm-hmm. um, and most Python users get their Python from whatever distribution they happen to be on. Right. You know, it's not so much true with Windows, but, you know, even, even the Mac platform comes with a, a version of Python. So I, I, I really look at it as our responsibility to help improve Python, you know, for our users and Python in general. So, gotcha. So we do, you know, do a lot, and we we do try to um, contribute as much back as we possibly can. Um, you know, I would I would say that you know the, uh, Debian maintainers are also you know sort of in that I lump them right. also in that in that group. Um, Very cool. So you're speaking of PyCon, and I'm I'm officially stoked. I'm going to my first PyCon. Excellent. I've actually I wanted to get into Python development for for the last several years, and I learned it on my own, kind of on the side, playing with it. And I just got my first Python day job back in February, so I'm actually oh, coming, up, coming up on a year. So I'm like, woo, Python for a year. Um, but yeah, I've I've been looking at the PyCon conference while I was learning, going, oh, I would so love to go to PyCon, and then I had a baby instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this year, this year I'm going, uh, and so you guys are going to have a presence down there. Yeah, we definitely will. Um, I know that myself, uh, Matthias, will be there, um, and we haven't quite worked out exactly, how, you know, who from Canonical will be there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, go on their own sort of uh, on their own dime, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and we we send a lot of people ofi- officially, but a lot of people just are really into PyCon. 
because it's a great conference. You're, you're going to love it. I, I spent a lot of hours over the last year going through PyCon videos going, like, oh, I would have loved to be in that talk. Oh, I would have loved to be in that talk. Like, yeah. Now, are you staying for the uh, sprints? Yes, that's my big thing is that um, because, I, well, I, I, you know, I got this job working in Python, but um, in particular, we do, you know, web development, and um, I'm very interested to kind of to, to get involved with sprints, to, to work with some other people that, you know, know more than I do kind of thing. Um, and, uh, I think the sprints are a good chance to kind of do that, get involved. Um, I do hang out in a lot of IRC channels for the stuff that we use, pylons, SQL alchemy, mm-hmm. um, those kind of tools. And so, uh, I'm, you know, the, the whole pylons pyramid merger situation, I'm, I'm definitely hoping to get neck deep in and, uh, you know, have some fun with that, you know, have some fun, but just complete like, you know, Python out for four straight days of sprints. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, you, you will definitely have fun. There's no question about that. And the sprints, you're absolutely right. The sprints are just a great way to get involved um, and to learn a lot and to contribute, you know? Oh, yeah. That's what's nice is, you know, it's one thing to, like, go to a talk and sit and watch a guy with some slides, maybe do a demo or two and go, that's great. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're developers. Let's, let's sit down and launch, you know, launch Vim. We're, we're Vim users here, right? I got to check that. Uh Oh, he's very quiet. <laughs> I guess I should say no comment. <laughs> oh no, this interview is over. That's it. No. All right. All right. See, I'm old. So, you know, all Come of us old me. guys use Emacs. <laughs> oh, the worst. Oh no, no. That's all the, all the kids use Vim. <laughs> How many wrist surgeries have you had so far? No. <laughs> Oh, so, okay, well, all right. So I guess, you know, you can launch Emacs. I'll launch them. But, yeah, no, that's, so that's that's cool. That's awesome. So you guys have a friend who's so going to hang out with some sprints and stuff down there. Uh, any talks or anything anyone's given that I should make sure I drop in on? You know, I haven't looked at the talks. Um, I, I kind of skimmed them. Um, oh, yeah, I'm with, yeah, exactly. It's it's too far out to, like, have the itinerary yet. Far out. But <laughs> I will tell you this. If, if uh, Dave Beasley or Ian Bicking is giving a talk, or even uh, Raymond Hettinger, Go to those talks. Actually, there's like, you know, there's like maybe three or four guys. Alex Martelli always gives a great talk. You know, any of those four guys, go see their talk. Dave Beasley, especially, he will like explode your brain, but it'll be, you'll, you'll just love seeing your brain matter all over the place because it's going to be a great talk, whatever he gives. Awesome. Um, I'll have to remember that then. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 actually, the cool thing this year is that there's a number of people who have been invited to talk about, I think, I think it's an extreme talk. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that works out. I mean, you know, be- I'm, 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 I'm hoping that it's a success because I want to take the idea elsewhere. We have a local Linux conference, the Ohio Linux Fest, which is great. Um, they have a, a very good mission of being like, you know, intro of, to, of Linux to new users. They, they always encourage people, you know, come out to free conference, bring a friend that doesn't know anything about Linux, just bring mm-hmm. them out, you know, drag them out. We'll get them going. However, you know, being this as someone who started out as a beginner, you know, years and years ago and has learned a lot, I keep trying to like get some kind of advanced talk stuff in there. And I love this idea of the, you know what, let's, let's skip how to install, let's skip, you know, how to launch your editor and all that. And let's just get in and go. So even, even if I'm, it's way over my head or whatnot, I definitely want to attend a couple of these. Like, like you say, I'm very curious on how this turns out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it's going to be great. I, you know, I think I think the people who have been invited are just really, you know, stellar, you know, uh, presenters. So I think it's going to be really cool. We got a few of those in the Python community. It's pretty nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure is. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> uh, so let's let's jump off Python for a minute, since technically we are a loco cast. We we kind of uh-huh. with the Michigan loco. Um, so where are you at, and what loco are you obviously involved with? <laughs> uh, well, I live uh, not far from Washington D.C. And there's a very good loco here in the D.C. area. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I have to admit, I, I'm, I'm a very busy guy, unfortunately. <laughs> I guess fortunately or unfortunately. Oh, I was going to scream slacker, but it, you're, <laughs> you're busy, so I guess it's not. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, I'm, I'm also a musician, so that kind of keeps me, uh, you know, off the streets. Oh, very cool. I <laughs> was just down there for my, my grandfather, who's a retired music teacher and who, till right up until... Um, Right up until his funeral, there he was singing and uh, was really love of music. So that's very cool that you're a musician. 
Oh, you know what? You must be then really into the jam sessions. I have seen some video of jo- of uh, George up there doing a little uh, bass and such. Yeah, yeah. George and I uh, compete for the bass slot along with a few other people. Actually, we have quite a few bass players in Canonical, which is pretty interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so not too much loco involvement your way. But I yeah. hear good things about the DC loco. So um I, I've I've seen some of their posts and stuff on the planet and things. So that's that's cool that you've got one down there. You definitely should get involved. Yeah, you know I do see the guys. You know it's pretty funny because the last few years um, we have a, a street festival down in Tacoma Park, which is in Maryland, not too far from the DC line. And uh, so we, you know, various bands of mine play there almost every year. And uh, the DC local always has a booth. So, you know, I try to go to the booth and I, I brought my son the last few years and, and, you know, see all the folks that I know from the DC loco. And, you know, I spend a little bit of time there and, and try to, you know, help push some CDs or, or help <laughs> answer questions. And uh, it's great. You know, our, our, our loco is really, really fantastic. So, um, you know, my involvement has, is, is, has, you know, bears no, uh, you know, uh, ill right. on, on our, our <laughs> No, no, we'll, we'll give you a pass to go get some Python work done, you know. <laughs> right. we, we, we understand. Give us new Python. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you a stand-in for the Loco events. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. Is there anything in particular that you want to plug or mention or anything else we haven't covered that uh, you want to kind of bring up before we uh, cut this off? Wow. Um, you know, I would just say if anybody has questions about uh, Python on Ubuntu, you know, they're absolutely free to ping me. I'm always on, you know, the ver- various IRC channels, uh, both on, you know, Freenet and... Um, and is, there, uh, is, is there like a main one for Ubuntu uh, Python involvement? Would you just kind of like go to where your problem was, like the packaging or the Motu or something? Or is there like one for we have a super cool Ubuntu Python people channel? You know, we don't, but we kind of should. Um, you know, on the Debian uh, servers, there's a Debian Python, which um, is, is... Oh, well, they really... can't have one, and we don't. go. <laughs> I know, I know. It's kind of, you know, now that you mention it, it's it's definitely a, a, something that's lacking. Uh, I'll see about I, fixing that. Yeah, clearly I don't idle enough of them. So if you get a new one, let me know, and we'll, uh, we'll, try, to, we'll try to stampede that sometime. Definitely will. No, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll have the, a lot of the links and stuff what we talked about in the notes here. And um, you know what, man, have uh, have some fun and good luck with the getting Natty out the door in good shape. Thanks, and it's been absolutely my pleasure. And uh, I'll see you at the Python conference. Definitely, PyCon. Here we come. Yeah. All right. Anyways, that was an interview yesterday with Barry, and we want to thank him again for being amazingly awesome and sitting down with us and giving us some great info. And he will also be at PyCon with some more of the crew. So if you're going, you know, let's get a little Ubuntu crew hanging out together. That'd be kind of awesome for sprints and stuff. All right, into the news. Let's see. Ubuntu version... Natty Alpha 2. 11.04, right? Is that what we're coming up on? That's what we're coming up on. Alpha 2, next week on the 3rd of February. I am going to be picking this one up. I, I tried picking up an Alpha 1 and didn't have much luck in my virtual machine, so definitely got my mitts, my, my BitTorrent mitts <laughs> ready to go to go grab me some ISO and see how this one's turning out. There's some interesting stuff going on, though, in this, uh, in this release, or at least in the Ubuntu uh, community. It seems... That uh, one of the things that is coming down the pike, and I'm going to kind of switch things around, is the oh, yeah. software center reviews. Uh, that I think is going to make it in Natty, correct? Yeah, you know what? It it just got merged in, and I you know I saw a post from George on it, and then what was hilarious was today I noticed on Twitter that George and um and his boss whose name I'm Jono Jono. <laughs> <laughs> had posts that were basically reviews. I think that there's some kind of social integration here that basically said, I rated some app four stars with some kind of comment after it. It so, was the, the P 
Pandora application with a P that has a name that is completely and utterly not conducive <laughs> to remembering that it's a Pandora app. No, yeah, it's a uh, piano something or other like that. But yeah, um, so this was kind of cool because we had talked about, we had an episode a while ago where we talked a lot about the software center and what, what we would like to see and how it wasn't quite what we would think up to snuff. And, you know, so um, yeah, so George has this re- reviewed Pethos in Ubuntu, four stars. With the comment, my favorite Pandora app for Ubuntu. And then a little bit after that, if I scroll up, I should see Jono's post, and I don't. If yeah. it's social in that and starts posting stuff to Twitter. See, I hadn't heard that yet. And so I'm, I'm assuming because I know that the Software Center review code landed, I think it was yesterday. And then seeing these posts today from both um, George and Jono makes me think that there must be some stuff in it. So I haven't played with it yet. But grabbing that Alpha 2, I'm, I would imagine it's going to be in there. So we'll have to look for that and test it out. I'm, what do you think about the whole the, 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 software, the software reviews in there? How do you think that's going to work out? I think it's going to be a dog pile. Um, <laughs> I think the stuff that, that people really like is going to, are going to be you know highly rated. And I think the stuff that people don't like, like, oh, I don't know, Mono and, and other assorted things like that, are going to get one-star reviews. Ooh, I didn't think about mono. That's a very good use case. I was more worried about that the Vim users all trashing the Emacs one and the Emacs users well, and, trashing and that them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I think I think it's going to be sort of like you know Amazon reviews and that, where if something is really unpopular mm. uh, at the moment, that it's going to get one star reviews, regardless of the quality of the product itself. I'm excited to try it out though. What I'm I'm hoping that there's some kind of like this comment is unhelpful that a lot of the Quora's and other you know uh, answer Stack Overflows are doing these days to kind of right. help with when you have a trashy comment that people can vote it out of existence pretty much. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see where that lands. Definitely. And also coming up in Netty, there was a comment from one of the devs working on multi-touch, how there's going to be a pre-release. Now, this isn't going to be like final, awesome, multi-touch, working perfectly, so, you know, let's, let's rejoice. But there's a, they're looking to get a pre-release version of this out into Natty to start playing with. So if you're interested in multi-touch, now, and he made the comment in the post, you know, this is for developers, people interested in doing this. This is not... Um, this is not, hey, you know, you have a touch-enabled device, go install it and, and try it out, you know. Um, so this is going to be released on every tablet that's doing Ubuntu now. That's where it's headed, right? You know, and I got <laughs> thinking about, because I, I got a netbook from work, and I put it up on a little, you know, little rack here, and I've got a little monitor hanging underneath the rack now that up there, and I got thinking that, you know, what would be really cool is if, it, what, if I did have a touch-enabled monitor there, because, you know, I've got this, you know, this mini keyboard that I kind of like, you know, hide away and then I pull out when I need to type something, you know, because of the things I'm using it for, like the display status of a build server where I may want to go and hit the refresh button on a browser or, um, you know, let's say I have top running or something, you know, like a, something else monitoring. I may want to like switch between a couple of running apps, you know, one that's, you know, monitoring a, a, a backup progress, you know, while something else, you know that a touch monitor would be really useful for what I'm, you know, what I'm doing here. I don't need to always type stuff in, but more just interact with stuff that's already running. Have you ever seen those HP uh, touch monitors that they have over at Office Max and that? You know, yeah, I, I've have I was you actually, played with those. I haven't tried them. I scoped out a, I scoped out on Amazon some stuff to just kind of see like, what am I talking? Am I am I talking like, you know, if I wanted to play with this, you know, too much money or is it, you know, play level? And um, the only thing is, is that you know the the cheaper monitors don't have as good a touch, right? They're I don't, I'm not a touch master here, so they're, they're capacitive and no, they're not capacitive, right? There's Something resistive like and capacitive. Right, and I never remember which is which. Yeah, I'm guessing resistive is more like you have to actually like touch the screen harder, you know. I think that's capacitive, actually. Uh, yeah. Well, see, like yeah, I said, exactly. Not a master. But the anyways. one that was the old Palm Pilot where you have the thin skin on it yeah. and you have to press down on it to make sure that it touches versus like the iPhone where right. you don't so have to do that. The, the monitors are obviously the cheaper of the two. They, they don't work as well. They're, they're not going to work as well as my, my Android phone is going to work. So that, that got me nervous and I kind of talked myself out of messing with it right now. But seeing the touch come to Ubuntu has got me kind of really itching to try that out and kind of interested. So, um, you know, even Joe Schmoes might have a, a use for touch without needing a, a tablet device. 
And because we now have one of these signs of the apocalypse, which is Rick talking about actually getting a touch monitor and using a GUI, uh, we also have another <laughs> sign of the apocalypse, QT apps in Ubuntu. Yeah, Mark had a big post on this, and this this caught me out of left field. Me too. <laughs> this is This is huge. So what it looks like they're planning on doing is they're planning on shipping actual... QT applications and allowing it to interface. And I'm scrolling through the article in here. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to necessarily be KDE applications because no. KDE's got way too much baggage associated with it. Sorry, guys, but it does. <laughs> um, it's just as much as GNOME. It's just that GNOME's already on this. The, the big thing is that they want to make room for this on the CD, right? Ubuntu fits on a CD, and so it's very cutthroat on what ships on the CD and not. And, right. by, and by shipping the QT libraries, the Qt libraries, by default on the CD, it'll actually be interesting because by appearance-wise, it will look a lot lighter when you install your first Qt app. Normally, when you first you, know, you go grab that first app that you like, let's say you're a big fan of, um, I don't know, Compare. You know, it's a, a tool that I use, a diff tool that sometimes I, I like because it's a little bit nicer. Or Amarok or something like that. Exactly. Well, suddenly that list of packages it wants to install and that initial download is huge because you have all these libraries to render that GUI that's de- you know that's being dependent. And by including it on the CD, that list will look a lot shorter. Um, so it's kind of like a tricky mental barrier. You, know, you might be more apt to use non-GTK apps if it's not as big a deal to get going. Well, and, and the conspiracy theorist in me... Uh, gets this idea that since QT is a little more mature in the areas of touchscreen environments and such, mm-hmm. like with, oh, I don't know, Mego and exactly. other assorted environments, you start to see a pattern where, okay, now we can have stuff that goes on a tablet device and we can have uh, best of breed, and I never thought I'd ever say that about a QT application, but best of breed applications on the disk, which will work both on the desktop and on the on the tablet and talking to developers just about all the time when we when we get around and we chat about qt developers like qt better yeah oh Uh, i like the 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 frame there's so much stuff that that qt ships with and that it come right out of the box and it's like you know i've done a little looking at qt and i have to say qt is a nice environment kde itself I'm not sure I could I could stomach KDE in its entirety, but QT yeah. is definitely nice, and it makes me think. Okay, maybe I should get those QT books that I've got on my shelf out and just kind of brush up on them. Yeah, but the big thing to think about here is just that we're talking about the framework. We're talking about in the future enabling apps built on this framework. This is not a let's make KDE included on the CD by default. Yeah, this is not a Kubuntu moment. Yeah. All right. So we'll have some links to uh, to Mark's original post and uh, follow up with some thoughts. Um, I know there's a guy we know from Ars Technica. He jumped in with a nice article on it. So um, definitely something to look into and to keep a tab on going forward. So, while you were traveling, did you read much at all? I See, the problem with a lot of the reading that I did is that on the airplane, since it was so short, by the time we were taking off, we were landing. <laughs> you can't so turn I didn't off do a lot of e-book reading. <laughs> that, that is one thing with e-books, right? The, the, the readers, they don't let you turn them on. And I, I tell you what, next to the pat-down rule, let's change this one next. All right, I should be able to use my Kindle with the wireless turned off on takeoff and landing. Right. Well, I... I you know, when I took off initially, the I had my iPhone on, and, and it was okay, and I put it in airplane mode, of course. Mm-hmm. And then later on, they're like... Wait a minute. You put your... Reaching out. Oh, my gosh. You, you put your iPhone on in airplane mode? I had it on, but I put it in airplane mode. I iPhone? Didn't Wait. What, what iPhone? What are we talking about here? It worked me an iPhone. Oh. Yeah, along with the Windows machine. Ooh, that's right. I remember talking about the Windows machine last time. Yeah. Uh, so yes, so the the reading that I did was basically the Dresden Files: Grave Peril, 
because I had I decided, you know, if I'm going to be on the plane, at least I'll have something that I can read during the moments of takeoff and landing and such. So, yes, I brought a, a conventional paperback book. Uh, but one of the mo- more recent purchases that I've made is Learning Python 4th Edition. Now, I thought to myself I would never buy another Learning Python book because I bought the 3rd Edition. And the 3rd Edition, while it was a decent book, it seemed like by the time it actually got its stride, it moved on to something else. Or it got so far into the rabbit hole that it didn't seem like there was any way for it to come out. So... I bought the fourth edition kind of begrudgingly, but and it's a huge, huge book. Yeah, Don't get it, me wrong. This this book, this is a bullet stopping book. And I showed Jody a copy of, of programming Python, which is the real <laughs> bullet. I mean, this is this is the tank shrapnel stopping book. That's that's the one you put behind the wheels of your camper to help keep it from moving when you're parked. Exactly. <laughs> this this sucker weighs in at a whopping. 1,214 pages, including the covers. You had me scared for a minute. I thought when you said weighing in, I thought you literally went and weighed the book. No. (laughs) No, this is in PDF format, which I I would highly recommend. If you're going to get the Python books, don't lug around these beasties around on anything. Just lug them around in PDF format and be done with it. Anyways, it goes into a lot more depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the previous book. So my concerns with the previous book, as far as you know, not going into too far, too much, are obviated. The, this is definitely has a lot more detail on that. I haven't given it too much of a read through yet, because I, I haven't really been around to give it the read through that it really deserves in that. But I did take a look at the section on decorators, and I'm very satisfied with the way that it's it's handling that. So that's good. I, I know. I had the, yeah, when I was learning Python, I, I grabbed learning Python, the third edition one, and I was disappointed because it was it seemed kind of shallow, and then I, I got to the end of it really fast and then realized I would never pick it up again. It wasn't very good for reference, so I think I ended up giving it away. I'm like, okay, well, here, here someone else wants to learn Python here. I mean, it wasn't a bad thing for learning, but it was just so little meat there that by the time you got done it was like you, you didn't need the book anymore so I'm, right. glad, I'm glad that they definitely changed it I, I've seen the new book in the stores and it is it is like three to four times larger than the, the third edition which is kind of unusual you know they increment an edition and suddenly it really seems like it, they have made it a new book well it's it's covering Python 2.6 and 3 so it's got I mean they actually posted it on their website mm-hmm, right Folks that are saying, you know, this this book just keeps growing and growing and growing with every edition it becomes <laughs> an, a huge, huge book. And and they finally said, look, if on the fourth ed- or the uh, fifth edition that we bring out, it's going to just cover Python three. We're not going to cover the Python two series in that, so that'll cut a lot of the stuff out yeah. of it. But no, very cool. And a side note with that, I know I've seen some uh, posts, blog posts, and stuff on Twitter. There are s- some guys working on a new Python cookbook right now. And for that, they've asked people to submit their cookbook ideas, either A, to grab a, um, uh, an old recipe from the old cookbook and update it for Python 3, because the new cookbook is only going to be Python 3, I believe. Okay. And um, but but if you have other ideas like you know new things because obviously the old one is actually old from 2.4 and I always hated it because it didn't have a lot of the later things like generators and I, I remember if it had generators but it it didn't have a lot of the the tricks and things that I expected coming from Python 2.5 2.6 and and now that 2.7's out and three is out and we have things like ordered dictionaries and a whole lot of new things it, we really need a new a new cookbook so if you have an interesting recipe um, definitely get involved and shoot it to them, and maybe you can get a little credits on the back page somewhere. Cool. So what is this book that you've got here? <laughs> My fever continues. No, um, I, you know... <laughs> I said last time I need to stop reading and to just start doing. That was my, my goal for this year. I have failed utterly at that goal. Um, since that time, I think I've purchased with stupid O'Reilly and their, their ebook sales. They're poisoning me. Um, yeah, I, I, 50% off on the ebooks. Yeah, they had yeah. a they had a few so in the last month. There were a few few good sales going down, and so I ended up grabbing four new books. But the one that I grabbed first was um, I, I still want to move forward with my, this this idea of Ruby and playing with it. I I'm still looking at work and trying to use Puppet, um, and there you know some Ruby tools you know going forward for some server admin kind of things. So you know I I mean while I'm not I am 
not impressed enough anywhere where I'm going like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go be a Ruby developer. It's something that I want to have in my back pocket to be able to pull out and go, oh, that's Ruby. Yeah, I can I can hack on that or, you know, whatever. And uh, CodeMesh had a lot of Ruby devs and stuff going on. So, you know, it's it's there. But so I, I this book was really highly, uh, highly rated. It's Practical Ruby for System Administration. And, you know, the idea for me is that I don't I'm not looking to learn Ruby for Rails. I, I do web development and Python by day. I'm very happy with Python as a web development, you know tool set but i see it having more pearlish roots and ability to help and maybe be a little bit faster for some sys admin kind of thing so i'm i'm looking at examples and stuff along those lines just go with pearl anyway no 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 <laughs> is an awesome language yeah no you go take your hypnosis hypnosis elsewhere buddy that's you can't convince me of that <laughs> But anyway, so this book is, um, I'm not totally done with it, but I'm, you know, four-fifths of the way through it. And you know what I have to say? The guys that do the Python sysadmin book need to go read this one. Um, I love the fact that it's not like I'm not going to teach you Ruby. It, it really is much more of jump in and do real sysadmin-y things uh, across the board. Everything from, you know, data monitoring, processing, you know, uh, the examples are really good, and the book's written f pretty well, where it's got a little personality to it, and you know, it's it's interesting. So, I mean, I haven't I haven't sat down and written a whole lot of Ruby stuff yet, and it's been because of just the way this month has been beating on me relentlessly. I've actually been kind of slow going. Um, it's taken me longer to get through this book than anything I can remember in recent years. So, um, recommend it. Uh, we'll hopefully finish it soon, but I, I, the thing that got me was I, I got the Python for sysadmin books, and I was really disappointed, and uh, I really liked this one, so very cool. Pearl best practices. <laughs> oh, oh. It's bad enough that, that Ruby does have like some very, you know, like, oh, they have these dollar sign X, you know, variable kind of things that they have, and it's like, oh, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> I, I hate that from Pearl. Oh, what's wrong with the dollar sign? It lets you know it's a scalar. No, but I, what I mean is, like, you've got, like, dollar sign underscore, dollar sign bang, you know, all those kind of, like, magic dollars. Oh, the magic. The magic variables. Yeah. Okay. Ruby's got some of those, and, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. And so the Seth Sadman book uses it in a few occasions, especially because he starts out with, like, you know, here's, like, a quick Ruby one-liner that will do magic for you that you may want to do, like, on a whim for some sysadmin one-off tool. And then some of them, he, he then goes, all right, no, that's great and all, but let's actually break it into a full-blown script. And, and so he takes some of the magic away. And I'm just like, oh, I hate those magic variable things. Oh, come on. What's wrong with them? They make babies cry. I know. <laughs> I, ha I have one. I can prove it. <laughs> uh, so on that depressing note with crying babies... We will leave you with this episode of LocoCast and hope you might come again and listen to our words. Yes, thank you so much for listening. And if you have any feedback that you'd like to share our way, uh, or if you'd like to tell Rick uh, to stop it with the Ruby stuff already, uh, send it over at feedback at LocoCast.net. Great. Now I have to add like Ruby-hating filters to the mailbox. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Done. Set. Match. <laughs>